You're listening to the Oddscast, the original UFC betting podcast that's straight to the point. Hosted by leading MMA oddsmaker Nick Kalikas and MMA journalist Brian Hemminger, they provide you the absolute best UFC betting info, picks, statistics, and analysis from the most respected authority in mixed martial arts betting. MMAoddsbreaker.com. Don't place your wagers without us. Welcome to the Oddscast, presented by BetDSI. I'm Brian Hemminger, joined today by leading mixed martial arts oddsmaker Nick Kalikas to break down this Saturday's UFC on ESPN Plus 28 event, which takes place in Brasilia, Brazil. If you're unfamiliar with our format, Nick and I will break down the fight card from top to bottom, providing extensive analysis and a pick for each fight after doing our film study for the event. Looking back, Kyle Marley won 2.2 units for UFC 248 after going 2-1 on his premium bets. Kyle has his bets and fantasy MMA picks available now on MMAOddsBreaker.com. Back to the present, UFC on ESPN Plus 28 features a 12-fight card in total and will be aired exclusively on ESPN Plus this Saturday night. Let's dive right in. Now kicking things off on the preliminary card is a women's bantamweight contest between Veronica Macedo, who is 6-3-1, and B. Malecki, who is 1-0. Now, Nick, where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? As always, a couple quick shout-outs before we get rolling here. First off, our sponsor, Sportsbook, BetDSI.eu. Make sure you head over to BetDSI and check out all the lines. Those are the lines that I'm going to quote as far as updates go. And then also, as Brian mentioned, head over to MMAOddsBreaker.com. Click on the Premium Picks tab and check out Big Marley 3's plays. He has a couple plays for this weekend available, and he's got his DraftKings breakdown available as well. The guy is razor sharp. Um, he's on a roll again, so make sure you hop on board. I mean, he's up over like 240 units um, the last 21 months or so, so it's been documented. The guy's legit. Make sure you hop on his bets right now. So head over to MMAOddsBreaker.com and click on that premium picks tab. Okay, getting right into this card. Should be a fun one. And starting off this uh, card right now, the prelims, we have a fun women's fight, actually, where Maleki actually opened the dog. So Macedo opened minus 160 as a favorite. Maleki plus 130 as an underdog. And right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is Macedo minus 172, the comeback of Maleki at plus 139. So again, line margins have tightened up a little bit. And we're seeing two-way action on, on this fight. And across the Don Best screen, we're seeing about a buck sixty plus one forty as well. Um, so again, around one sixty, one seventy seems to be the range right now for Macedo. This is a tough one as well. I mean, Macedo moving up from flyweight to bantamweight in this spot here. Maleki is going to be the physically bigger fighter. I believe she's going to have ten pure inches of reach over Macedo. So we got to get that out of the way as well. Um, but overall. I think this is still going to be a very good fight. I think Macedo is actually the better overall fighter. I think Macedo is going to have some speed. She has some power. I think she's a little bit underrated in this spot here. I think both of these ladies can have success on the feet here. Um, it'll go back and forth a little bit. Obviously, Maleki going to have to use her range. Um, she's going to have quite a bit of it there. But I think Macedo is quick enough to get kind of get inside and close a gap on her and land often enough to make things um, interesting as well. And then on the ground, I think Macedo is actually the better ground practitioner as well. I mean, so far, it hasn't been the greatest um, resume for you know her UFC career thus far for Macedo, but I think people are kind of underestimating her a little bit, and she is getting better. So Maleki, I get it. She's kind of the, the trendy side overall. I mean, I think a lot, there's a lot of upside to her. Again, with that build, she's going to get better. You know, she's got that big size and that frame, and she does have some skills. She's not bad on the feet. I do wish she had a little bit more of that killer instinct and a little bit more power um, in her punches. And then again, she's still developing her ground game as well. It's not bad, but she is vulnerable to getting taken down. And again, I think this is going to be a pretty difficult fight for her overall. So 
overall, I think we're going to see more dog action come in here and the price could continue to drop on Macedo, but I think it's probably going to be the wrong way. I like Macedo to win this, but it is going to be a difficult fight. I think both these ladies are definitely going to pick, um, be tough, kind of pick each other apart back and forth and, and really be competitive. So I could realistically see it going either way, but I'm going to side with Macedo. Despite her being undersized in this spot, I just think she's just the better fighter overall. So my pick is Macedo, um, but it is kind of a difficult one to bet. Yeah, the most confusing thing for me with this fight is why did Macedo move up to 135 again? Uh, she made her UFC debut at 135, and she got completely overpowered by Ashley Evans-Smith and ended up getting TKO'd. And she looked a lot healthier and in her realm at 125 and finally did pick up that first UFC win uh, in her last fight. So I was really perplexed that this fight's taking place at 135 and she's facing someone that's a lot taller with a lot bigger reach. I think uh, Malecki's about five or six inches taller with a 10 inch reach. So that's, that's a concern. That's a big concern. Um, and she's fought at featherweight while Macedo is a natural flyweight. So Huge size difference here, but the skill difference is also pretty big. I, I mean, on the feet, I think it's pretty competitive. Malecki does actually come from a striking background, but um, I really was not that impressed with her stand-up in her UFC debut. Um, she, uh, it was pretty even against her opponent, and then she, her opponent was able to mix in a lot of takedowns in the first round. Um, and Macedo has a much, much better ground game than anybody Malecki's faced. So if uh, this goes to the canvas, I think Macedo can tap it, tap her pretty quick. Uh, even if somehow Malecki gets top position. I mean, I think Macedo could uh, throw up an arm bar or something, but on the feet, I think it'll be pretty competitive mainly because of Malecki's huge physical advantages. Um, but I think Macedo is a lot quicker than Malecki. I think that, as Nick mentioned, like she might be able to utilize that to get inside and land a couple shots to to soften Malecki up to open up the ground game. And once it does go to the ground, I definitely favor Macedo. I think if she gets top position, uh, it's only a matter of time until she finds a, a submission here. So uh, I think uh, it's going to be competitive on the feet, but there's a huge difference in skill on the ground. So even though Macedo's very unsized and I'm perplexed by her moving up to Bantamweight and I hope she goes back to flyweight, I still think that she can get the win here. So Macedo's my pick. Now, dropping down to the flyweight division, we have Bruno Gustavo da Silva, who is 10-4-1, taking on David Dvorak, who is 17-3. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmakers perspective on this one? Silva open minus 145 to Vork plus 115. This line moved all over the place. And right now what we're seeing over at BetDSI is Silva minus 115, the comeback in Dvorak minus 106. So line margins have tightened up a little bit from a 30 cent line to a 20 cent line, pretty much across market price as well. And we're seeing Silva as a slight favorite, man. This is another tough one. I mean, I know Bruno Silva is kind of the more, I don't want to say household name because obviously he's not, you know, hasn't had uh, a lot of fights in the UFC or nothing, but I think he is the more hyped fighter. Um, a lot of people are expecting good things from him. And then he goes out there and just kind of lays an, lays an egg against Taha. He had his moments in that fight for sure, but disappointing. I think Bruno Silva is a little bit up and down and, you know, throughout his career, you could see a lot of good from him, but at the same time, there's some head scratching moments in his career as well. What you see from him, he's a very solid, strong guy for the weight class. Of course, he, he does have a good ground game. He's got good wrestling to go along with it, underrated wrestling, really. And he doesn't have bad striking either. So he's a pretty complete fighter. 
But I think he's going to have his hands full against Dvorak here. Dvorak's going to have a little bit of size and reach on him. I think Dvorak is probably the better overall striker in this matchup. I think he does have a pretty slick ground game to go along with it as well. So I think in, in this spot, Silva's probably going to look to take this fight to the floor and control and uh, Dvorak and try to make this an ugly fight. But as it progresses, Dvorak, I think, is going to be too much. He's going to be able to kind of fend off a reverse position on the ground, possibly get back to his feet, obviously, um, stuffing those takedown attempts, and then doing more damage along the way here um, against Silva. So it should be another interesting fight because I think both these guys, again, are going to test each other. They're going to push each other to the limits here. And realistically, it's a pick em fight for a reason. It's going to be a close competitive fight. But I'm leaning towards Dvorak here. I like what I see. The guy has, again, that length. He's got underrated power, I think, overall on the feet. He's got that killer instinct that you do like to see. I mean, in, in all areas of the game, I think, you know, he's very game and he's capable of finishing the fight as well. So I wouldn't be surprised if we see Dvorak finishing Silva along the way as this fight progresses a little bit. So I like what I see in the debuting Dvorak here um, and I expect him to give Silva a lot of fits here and enough to probably win this fight as well so this line again bouncing all over the place there's a lot of action kind of going back and forth because a lot of split opinions on this fight obviously I'm gonna have to side with Dvorak though I think he is probably the right side here so I'm gonna pick him to win this fight as well Dvorak is stepping in uh, for this fight on short notice about a month's notice but um I really have been impressed with this guy and he's been fighting for 10 years in Europe um, and he hasn't lost in eight. So this is a guy that is very talented and he hasn't just been fighting bums. Like his last opponent, I think was 16 and one or 16 and two real quality win to earn this opportunity. So uh Dvorak is well-rounded. He has good striking. He has great movement. Um He's, uh, aggressive. He throws in combinations. He has some sneaky power with a, a quick right hand that he likes to lead with. There's a, a lot of things to like with Dvorak. Um, I think this guy could be a player at 125 and he also has a pretty good ground game. So very well-rounded. Uh, Bruno Silva will have a, an opportunity to get the win though. I mean, he's no bum, uh, has knockout power and Dvorak occasionally is hittable. So if Silva can connect like he did uh, in that opening round fight on uh, Tough Brazil 4, then he's definitely got a chance to win on the feet. But for the most part, Dvorak should definitely be controlling the stand-up. Um, on the ground, uh, I can see Silva getting takedowns potentially, um, but I think Dvorak is hold, can hold his own on the canvas as well and probably work his way back to the feet. So this fight's really, really interesting, um, especially just because Dvorak's coming in on the month's notice. Usually you favor the guy that's been in the UFC at least a little bit longer, that has some more experience under the, the bright lights. But uh, I think uh, Dvorak is going to be just fine, especially with it being basically an empty arena. You don't have the crowd going crazy for anything Silva does that might sway the judges. So uh, I think... You know, head to head, all things even, this is Dvorak's fight to lose. I think, uh, he can, um, outstrike Silva on the feet and potentially finish him there, maybe open up some cuts or something. So, uh, Dvorak is gonna be my pick. Now, sticking with the flyweight division, we have, uh, Myra Bueno Silva, who is six and zero, taking on Marina Moroz, who is nine and three. Now, Nick. Where did this fight open, and how has the public shifted things so far? 
Silva open minus 200, the comeback on Morose at plus 160. And right now what we're seeing over DSI, Silva minus 141, the comeback on Morose at plus 118. So again, line just tighten up a little bit, more action coming in Morose's way. I understand it. I'll tell you what, man, Morose is one of these underrated ladies for a while now. She's got a complete game overall. Um, coming off a very solid win over Mazo, and we saw what Mazo's capable of doing. I mean, when she's on, she's tough to beat. So I think that was a very solid win for Morose, and it just shows what she's capable of as far as – I know she was the veteran fighter, but I'm saying improvements in her game. I mean, she's getting better in her striking skill. I think Morose has a pretty good ground game as well. She's smart enough to get top position um, and when she needs to at times as well. So she's just a very intelligent fighter that continues to get better and at this point is a savvy vet. So she's facing – a heck of a fighter here, though. I mean, a hungry fighter coming in, um, especially, you know, obviously coming into the UFC, trying to make some waves. Bueno Silva's legit. I mean, she's definitely an aggressive fighter. Um, she goes after it everywhere the fight takes place. She's more known, of course, um, for her grappling style. But I'll tell you what, even on the feet, I mean, she she's not afraid to bring it. I mean, she's aggressive. She pushes forward. She mixes up hands and feet pretty well. So this is going to be fireworks wherever the fight takes place. I mean, Bueno Silva has, again, a really solid ground game. She's capable of winning the fight off her back um, as well. So her jiu-jitsu is nothing to sleep on. But I think in this spot here, it's going to be a tough fight for her because I, I think Moroz might actually get top position in this spot. And I don't know if, if Silva can submit Moroz. I think Moroz's submission defense overall is pretty decent. So I, I think this is just going to be a competitive back and forth fight in all areas, but Moroz might end up actually getting top position at times as well. So that said, I'm going to stick with a vet and Moroz here. I think that it is going to be a competitive fight. But I do believe that Moroz could probably do enough to steal this on the scorecards. I don't think Silva finishes Moroz in this spot. And I think this is going to be the best fighter she's faced. So um, in, in this situation, it is going to be a difficult fight for Silva. So again, a slight lean towards Moroz here, but it will be a close competitive fight. And it is going to be in Brazil, of course, without the crowd being there. So let's we haven't mentioned that yet. That's going to be an interesting factor because a lot of Brazilians are on this card and they're not going to have that kind of – crowd rooting for them that adrenaline rush that they get and you know that motivates you even more when you have your fans on your side screaming for your opponents to die for crying out loud they're not going to have that there so it's going to be a lot of more um, calm peaceful atmosphere so i mean a lot of the the visiting fighters here are going to uh, have it a little bit better if that makes sense you know but i still think you know, you got to kind of throw that out the window and look at how these ladies will fight and compete. At the, you know, and I think it's going to be a competitive fight. And if it is, if it hits the scorecards, which this could possibly obviously go to the scorecards, we're going to see a very competitive decision. And you can never trust the judges if that's the case. So be careful betting this fight. There's no way I would lay chalk in this fight for sure. And I mean, that's why, again, I think people are coming in on a rose. It's a, probably a dog or pass situation. It's just the matchup alone. So I, I like it. Um, but again, as far as the betting window goes in confidence, I think it's going to be a, a split decision type of fight. So I'm going to pick Morose, but it is kind of a competitive, tough fight to bet as well because, I mean, I could see Silva kind of coming with this win, especially on the scorecards if the judges kind of lean her way with a little bit more power, a little bit kind of she's the hype fighter. Maybe, you know, they side for the hometown fighter as well, despite no crowd being there. So if it's a close competitive decision, you never know how they're going to score it. So that's why I'm, I'm kind of – hesitating on this fight overall a little bit, but I do think Moroz is the better fighter at this point of her career. So my pick is Moroz. Yeah, both of these ladies are very talented. And I'll completely admit, I underestimated Moroz moving up to 125. Uh, that was a very quality win that she picked up uh, in that flyweight debut. And, uh, you know, and we've seen how good Mazo is with her getting a couple wins back to back since then. So, uh, 
very impressed. Uh, I mean, the biggest thing with Morose is she just needs to stay healthy. She hasn't been able to uh, fight consistently for a while now. Uh, Myra Bueno Silva, kind of in a similar situation. Um, she hasn't fought in over a year either. So uh, that win over Robertson was impressive, but you do have to remember that she was actually getting in a little bit of trouble on the ground. Uh, Robertson was in top position and was uh, controlling her. She was doing really well. Um, and then uh, Silva was able to throw up an arm bar and uh, get the win off of her back. Um, I I think uh, Morose is going to be a little bit smarter here. I don't expect Morose to want to play in on the ground with uh, Silva. I think in the stand-up, Morose is going to have the technical advantage. Silva might be able to even that out a little bit by being very aggressive to make up for maybe the skill gap in striking. But uh, Morose, I think, has a little bit of a power edge, and she should be able to outpoint Silva on the feet. Um, if and when this does go to the ground, as Nick mentioned, both ladies are talented there. Um, I would say Silva's a little bit better, but uh, I think Morose is good enough to avoid getting tapped out if it goes to the ground. I mean, she's been on the ground with some very good fighters in the past and, and has been just fine. So... Um, Realistically, I think that this is going to be a competitive fight on the feet with um, Rose having the edge, and I think it'll be competitive on the ground with Silva having the edge. It'll boil down to, can Silva get it to the ground? And um, for the most part, um, Rose has showcased some relatively good uh, takedown defense. So, uh, And Silva really isn't that much of a wrestler. When she took the fight to the ground... Uh, or when it went to the ground, she did it by getting taken down and getting a submission. So we're going to have to see how good she is at forcing the issue because I don't see Morose looking to take this fight to the floor, especially if she's finding success on the feet. So I think it's going to be competitive, but I'm leaning Morose. I think that she can uh, win a decision here. Now, drop moving up to the Bantamweight division, we have... Hani Yaya, who is 26 and 10, taking on Enrique Barzola, who is 16, 5 and 1. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Barzola open minus 145, Yaya plus 115. And right now, what we're seeing over DSI is minus 204 for Barzola, comeback at Yaya plus 167. So, needless to say, more action coming in Barzola's way. I think it's probably right. I mean, it's always difficult to bet against a guy like Yaya. Of course, Barzola dropping down a weight class. I mean, the guy's a warrior. I love watching Barzola fight because what you get from him every time out is effort. I mean, the guy is an incredible fighter. He's got that warrior spirit inside him as well. And you know he's going to come to fight and you know he's going to give it his all. He's not going to quit on you. Um, he's going to do his best to win the fight every time. And the guy is definitely a solid wrestler, has good striking ability, has good ground awareness, and he's putting in the work to get himself where he wants to be. So I got a ton of respect for Barzola. And he's fighting a savvy vet in Yaya that, I mean, he's given guys throughout his career fits because he's given most of the guys he's faced, I should say, uh, throughout their career fits because of his ground game is so strong. I mean, he's got underrated wrestling, um, the takedown ability, unorthodox at times as well. He could backpack you if he, as soon as he takes your neck. Um, whether it's for a guillotine choke or, you know, he, he gets you from behind in a rear naked choke, you're pretty much in some serious trouble. So Yaya has that smothering game plan. 
Um, and not just that, I mean, he's capable of submitting you and, and finishing you as well. And his stand-up is getting better, but that's not where he wants to do here. I mean, Barzola will torch him on the feet in this spot here. And that's why I think everybody's kind of coming in on Barzola. He's got the wrestling pedigree to probably keep this fight upright and keep some space. And on the, on the feet, obviously, he's going to be able to pick Yaya apart, probably even finish him as the fight progresses. So I do think the majority of the people are probably on the right track here coming in Barzola's way. I think he should realistically, if he fights smart, he should get the win over Yaya. So as the fight creeps up to like two to one, though, you got to be cautious because he only takes with a guy like Yaya one mistake, one mistake. He takes your back, a guillotine choke, whatever the case may be. And he's got that lethal submission skill. I mean, just special type of talented submission artist Yaya is. So when you're facing a specialist like that, you have to always respect it and be cautious because it doesn't matter if you're winning. I mean, 14 minutes of the fight. I mean, it could be 14 minutes and 10 seconds and that, you know, that last 10 seconds of the fight or whatever he gets you, you know, whatever the case may be. Um, that's how potent Yaya's ground game can be. But I don't think that's going to be the case for Barzola. I think Barzola is going to be able to kind of fight smart, keep him at bay and basically beat him up here in route to either decision or finish. So my pick is Barzola. I think most people are on the right track, but again, if, as it creeps towards two to one or over, just be careful at the betting window. Yeah. This fight's really interesting because Barzola's dropping down to bantamweight. He was always a little bit of an undersized featherweight, but he was still able to have success in the division and become a, a bit of a fringe contender at 145. But um, he eventually just ran into guys that were just a little bit too skilled and too big and too long, and he wasn't able to overcome that. And I think this has been a, a long time coming, him dropping down to the bantamweight division. And I think he's going to have a lot of success here, even though this division is loaded but uh, Yaya is no joke for a first opponent. I mean, that kind of shows what the UFC thinks of Barzola, that they're throwing him in there against a, a savvy veteran like this. But uh, Barzola is way more well-rounded than Yaya. Um, I mean, he Barzola comes from a ground background with uh, wrestling, um, but he has added some really good striking to his game. I mean, he has held his own on the feet with some very good fighters and – if he's able to keep this fight standing, it's not even going to be close. Uh, Yaya just does not have that standing skill. Uh, he doesn't have the power. He does have the ability to take a few shots. Uh, we really haven't seen him get hurt that much. But uh, I just think that Barzola is going to overwhelm him on the feet for however long this stays standing. And if it goes to the ground, that's where it gets interesting because uh, clearly Yaya's strength is the ground. He's an elite uh, Brazilian jiu-jitsu artist, one of the best submission artists at 135. And if it goes to the floor, even though Barzola does have the background on, on the canvas, uh, I think Yaya would completely take over. I mean, he could just hop on his back and just threaten uh, work for dominant positions. So what will it boil down to is will Barzola's wrestling background help him to fend off those takedowns? And I think it'll that is going to be a big help. But I think more than anything, it'll boil down to will he be conservative enough on the feet to not put himself in a position to get taken down easily? And uh, I think that he's a smart fighter. He typically does fight with a good game plan. So uh, I expect that Barzola is going to try to pick Yaya apart. And I think he'll have success there. And as long as he doesn't overcommit to things, he's going to be able to uh, stuff those takedowns and keep this fight upright. And if that happens, Yaya is going to be in a lot of trouble. But if Yaya can get the takedowns, if he can secure a dominant position, then I could see Yaya winning as well. But um, I think that this 
is just screaming uh, an impressive debut for Barzola at 135. So I think that he wins a unanimous decision, probably outpointing Yaya over the course of three rounds without going crazy, going for a finish and leaving an opening for, for Yaya. So my pick is going to be Barzola. Now moving up to the welterweight division, we have Elizu Zaleski dos Santos, who is 21 and 6, taking on Alexei Konchenko, who is 20 and 1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Dos Santos up is minus 175, the comeback, comeback on Konchenko at plus 135. And right now what we're seeing over DSI, Zaleski minus 130, the comeback on Konchenko plus 108. Man, this is a tough one as well because you have two guys coming off disappointing losses. Man, I mean, you know, I thought Kanchenko was well on his way to kind of getting the W over Burns as well. I know Burns is a tough matchup, but I mean, stylistically, if he could keep that fight upright and outstrike Burns along the way, especially Burns moving up in weight class in his last fight. So what I'm trying to say is it was kind of a disappointing head scratcher, even though Gilbert Burns is a talented fighter, whether it's at lightweight or welterweight. Obviously, I mean, the guy's a stud, so not a bad loss, but I was expecting a little bit better. But you got to give Kachenko a little bit of credit because he did come back and win that third round and at least made it interesting. But that said, kind of a head-scratcher because, again, he was on his way. He looks good. He's a solid striker, has decent uh, takedown defense overall. And, I mean, he's a pretty savvy vet at this point. Even before he came into the UFC, he had a lot of experience, and you could see the skill level. You know, And he's one of these guys that's in his mid-30s. But, again, in fight years, he's a little bit – even though he's experienced, he's a little bit younger than that because I think he's kind of still a, a fairly fresh fighter overall, especially in the UFC. So there's a lot to like about Kachenko here, and I think he's going to be very competitive with Zaleski. Zaleski disappointed me against Jing Long last time. I mean, him getting finished, being a little bit sloppy as the fight progressed a little bit too was – Disappointing. I mean, and of course, Jing Long just facing Magni and um, just getting dominated by Magni. I mean, it just makes this, you know, loss look a little bit worse, actually, as well. So Zaleski was on his way, though, man. I mean, the guy is so skilled. He's so talented. There's a lot to like about him. Everywhere the fight takes place, I mean, he's a sniper on the feet. He's got power. You have to definitely respect his stand-up game. On the ground, he's shown a lot of skill there as well. I mean, he's able to, to wrestle. He's able to take your back and submit you if he needs to. He, there's a lot to like about Zaleski. He's a very complete fighter. I think overall, he's probably the more complete fighter of the two here. So I can understand why he's favored because he can win this fight on the feet. Um, and of course, he's got the ground edge as well. It's not going to be easy, I think, um, you know, getting Kachenko where he wants to be at times on the ground. But as the fight progresses, he could find some favorable spots for him in that regard as well. So this is tough. I mean, at the betting window, if Zaleski doesn't fight smart, I think this will be a competitive fight as the fight progresses. And if he hits the scorecards, we're going to see a split decision type of fight. I think it'll go back and forth, especially these guys both like to stand and bang. And if Kachenko can use his wrestling and again, reverse, keep this fight upright, uh, he will have success back and forth against Zaleski. And Zaleski, again, not, I'm not saying he's chinny, but it, it's not a good look. I mean, coming in, like I said, sloppy at, at times and leaving himself vulnerable. I mean, Kachenko has enough power. He could actually kind of duplicate what just happened to him last. So he was on a rise, and then all of a sudden he kind of woke us up. We have to take a step back and see maybe Zaleski's not quite there yet. So, And Kachenko, again, you can't underestimate him because he's coming off a disappointing loss either. So this fight should be competitive. It should be close. Um I'm going to slightly lean towards Zaleski because I think right now it's almost a good price and about right as far as the line. He should be a slight favorite in this spot. 
he is the more well-rounded fighter. He's got more ways to win this fight as well. So I will lean with him. But again, it's not a confident one because I think if it hits a scorecard, Skashenko could win or possibly, you know, catch that chin and possibly put him out along the way as well. So it's definitely a tough spot to bet. But as far as a pure pick goes, I will lean slightly towards Zaleski in this one. And I'm in a similar position here. Uh, both fighters are very talented. Both fighters are guys that I thought were top 15 welterweights. Um, Zaleski, you know, he was on a really nice streak there with some quality wins. And then he just ran into a big power shot from Li Jinglong that uh, really dashed those dreams of him being a, a contender. Um, we'll see if he can bounce back. Um, Konchenko was in the similar position. He looked like he was a, a player and then, uh, Gilbert Burns was able to, uh, pick up a, a win against him in a, in a surprise upset. So, um, and, and I, you know what? I was wrong in both of their losses. So I've, I'm a little bit thrown off with, uh, how that, those fights played out. But, uh, looking at the statistics, um, Zaleski and Konchenko are very similar. I mean, they both have a similar percentage of their significant strikes that are landed. They both have similar striking defense. Uh, one of the big differences is Zaleski, um, he is more active. He throws more often. So I can see that potentially helping him in the standup, but, um, seeing him get rocked and hurt, um, makes me a little bit nervous. So, uh, we really haven't seen that with Konchenko. I mean, he's had a lot of success everywhere in the world until that loss to, to Gilbert Burns. But another thing that could be a factor here is Zaleski does have a very good ground game that he's picked up uh, some submission wins in the UFC. And I can definitely see him working for takedowns, mixing things up on the feet and on the ground. And if he's able to get takedowns, that should really give him an itch because uh, on the canvas, he's dangerous. He, he is aggressive. He looks for submissions and he gets them. Now, I don't know how easy it would be to actually tap out Konchenko, but, um, I could definitely see Zaleski getting top position. And on the feet, the other big difference is I think Zaleski does mix things up a little bit better. Now, uh, Konchenko, I think is the slightly better boxer, but Zaleski is the more well-rounded striker. I mean, he's throwing a lot of, uh, kicks and, more diverse attacks, spinning attacks. So I think he mixes it up a lot better than Konchenko. And um, he can kind of be a little bit tougher to predict what's going to happen. So if Konchenko is able to kind of keep this in his realm, then he does have a path to victory. Um, he also could land a big shot and hurt Zaleski, especially, you know, who knows how good his chin is at this point after uh, eating that huge shot. So... Uh, I'm a little concerned about that, but I still think overall that Zaleski is the more well-rounded fighter here, and uh, I see a lot more paths to victory for him, and I think that he is going to be able to just barely squeak one out because I think this will be competitive. I think it probably goes to the scorecards, and it could be a split-decision type fight, but I'm leaning Zaleski. Now, dropping down to the women's strawweight division, we have Amanda Rebus, who is eight and one, taking on Randa Marcos, who is ten seven and one. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Rebus opened minus three twenty-five. The comeback on Marcos at plus two fifty, and right now, what we're seeing 
over at DSI is minus 333 for Rebus, the comeback of Marcos plus 259. So there has been two reaction coming in this fight. It's been bouncing back and forth a little bit. Um, but obviously Rebus is the more popular side here. I get it. I mean, this should be kind of Rebus's fight to win. I mean, Marcos is one of these fighters that is such a capable fighter, if that's the word I'm looking for, because I mean, she can compete with the best of them and hang in there and, and make it a ultra close competitive fight, regardless of the skill level of her competition at times. I mean, she basically has the skill to perform well on the feet. She's got the decent fight IQ in most times as well. She's got underrated wrestling. She's got a good submission game. But again, she makes some mistakes on the ground. I mean, you look back at, you know, some of her submission losses, you're, you're kind of scratching your head. I was surprised, honestly, by some of those. But so she's inconsistent is my problem with Marcos. And I've said it time and time again. I mean, even if you look at her win-loss resume, I mean, she's basically alternating win-losses now. We say it every podcast, and it keeps on happening. And she's coming off a win, by the way. So uh, that means she's going to lose this fight for sure. Now, obviously, I'm kidding. I mean, you got to throw all that out the window, but it is kind of the inconsistency does show. So at that spot. I don't know. It's hard to trust and depend on Marcos, but in Rebus, obviously coming in off of a very awesome win. I mean, I don't think people expected her to dominate Mackenzie Dern like she did. And she showed obviously a little bit of everything. So Rebus is an aggressive fighter. She has, she has capabilities on the feet. Obviously she has an outstanding ground game to go along with it. Um, she's an aggressive, more than capable fighter at finishing the fight as well. So I think Marcos is really going to have her hands full in this fight. And I mean, that's why you have to lean towards Rebus because Rebus could obviously win this fight on the ground. I think her pressure and her pace, even though Marcos is going to have her moments. I mean, it's not going to be a blowout by any means as the fight progresses, but unless obviously Rebus gets her down and subs her quickly, I don't think that happens. Marcos is definitely going to have her moments in this fight. Um, and she's going to be one of the toughest fighters that Rebus has ever faced. So you cannot counter out. And at the betting window right now, where it is again at the price, uh, man, it's very tough to bet. I don't think you could just go in there like crazy length three to one over Rebus because Marcos is again, an established vet that has been in there with the best of the best in most cases. So, um, even though Rebus is another difficult challenge for her, she's going to show up and she's going to be game. So you can't go crazy length chalk in this spot. Um, especially again, the state of MMA judging. If Marcos does not get submitted by Rebus and he goes to the scorecards, man, you never know. So I do think the right pick to make is Rebus in this spot. I think she's just going to be a little bit too much overall for Marcos with her aggression, with her capabilities of finishing this fight. I mean, she does have more passive victory, but again, if it hits the scorecards, who knows what we're going to see, but I do expect Rebus to get the W here. This is definitely a strong test for Rebus. Um, she looked so good in that last contest against Mackenzie Dern. So I have been very impressed with what I've seen out of her. She looked good on the ground. She's looked good on the feet. Um, she looks like she could be a player at 115. Absolutely. So, uh, but Marcos is definitely the type of fighter that can present a stiff challenge. I mean, Marcos has pretty strong wrestling. She has respectable striking skills and, uh, you know, and she's a tough out. So, um, she's going to be a game fighter. I think she'd present a much better challenge on the feet than what Mackenzie Dern was able to, to present in the last fight. So, uh, this one's really interesting. Uh, that being said, Marcos does have a history of struggling against both talented strikers and against really talented ground fighters where, uh, she, she's been submitted twice, uh, once from, uh, uh, both times actually from after getting takedowns where uh, the one was Rosnama Yunus. And then uh, most recently it was a little while back, but uh, she did get tapped by Courtney Casey. So 
Um, I can totally see Marcos shooting in a takedown and somehow uh, getting put in a bad position and Rebus submitting her from there. Uh, I also can see Marcos getting put on her back. I mean, that happened in her last fight against Ashley Yoder. And uh, I don't think Yoder has even close to the ground game that Rebus has overall. Um, and Rebus is the better striker of the two. Um, they're the same height, but Rebus has a little bit of a reach and she learnt, knows how to use that distance. I mean, it was amazing watching what she was doing to Mackenzie Dern. Um, I completely underestimated her skill there. So I think, uh, this is definitely an opportunity for Rebus to showcase what she's capable of against, uh, a savvy, uh, veteran UFC strawweight, but, uh, yeah, I, I just really think that this is going to be her coming out party even more so than the Dern fight. So uh, I think Marcos is going to struggle in almost every facet of the fight unless she can get top position and hold it. And I just don't think she'll be able to do that for consistent periods of time. So my pick is going to be Rebus. I think along the way she uh, gets a stoppage potentially by submission. Now, moving up to the flyweight division... We have Jusir Formiga, who is 23 and 6, taking on Brandon Moreno, who is 16, 5 and 1. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Formiga minus 185, the comeback of Moreno plus 145. Right now, what we're seeing is minus 145 for Formiga, the comeback of Moreno at plus 125. So again, line margins have tightened up a little bit. And more action coming on Moreno. Man, Moreno's looks so good. The guy has so much potential and so much, really, I mean, raw skill. It's it's amazing, right? He's got dangerous knockout power. The guy has a really dangerous submission game as well. Has some pretty decent wrestling at times. I mean, I know he can get put on his back too. So defensively with his wrestling is a bit of a concern for him. But as far as finishing ability, the guy has it, man. He's a fun fighter to watch. He's back on the rise. I mean, there's so much to like about Moreno. It's hard not to be a fan of his when you watch this guy fight. So this is an awesome fight, and this is a very good spot for him because if he comes in here and picks off Formiga, I mean, he'll get himself right back in the title picture because that's where Formiga is. I mean, Formiga is at the top of the food chain. He's very well respected. He only loses to the best of the best, of course. And so if Moreno is able to pick him off, I mean, this is going to be a huge win. And he has a path to victory, and that's keeping this fight on the feet and blasting Formiga, honestly. I mean, he has the capabilities of doing some damage against Formiga on the feet, of course. But Formiga's boxing is getting better. His striking is getting better. He's getting more confident in that area. Again, we've seen some vulnerabilities from him for sure. But the backpack is where it's at for Formiga. I mean, this guy is such a good ground practitioner. You know, he takes your back. You're not going to do anything about it. There's nothing you can do to escape him. I mean, he, he just – he'll ride you out or submit you. That's that's all there is to it. He could get top position in this fight, get some takedowns, and he don't, doesn't necessarily have to get your back. But that's – you know, he ends, ends up transitioning more times than not to your back, and he'll win rounds that way. So Moreno is going to have to really avoid the ground scrambles and ground positioning in this, this fight if he's going to win it. He's going to have to keep his distance, keep his space, and try to land the big bombs on Formiga. I mean, obviously, early on in the fight or early on in the rounds, that's where it's going to be for him he's going to have those opportunities and that's what makes this an intriguing fight i understand why everybody's coming in kind of betting moreno more so than formiga 
It, it just seems like that's kind of the trendy popular side right now. I'm going to actually go the other way and pick Formiga to win. Um, because again, I think he can make this kind of a, one of the, his typical backpacking type of fights and, and just control and smother and, and possibly submit Moreno, um, along the way. So I am going to pick him, but it's another tough spot to bet. But as this line drops, I mean, if this gets close to a, exactly a pick em type of fight, there's no doubt you have to take Formiga. I mean, like I said, right now we're looking at it and we're seeing a drop in price, but, I still think it's probably enough to keep me away. But if you're talking about this line going to minus 120, minus 130, I think there is probably a bet to be made on Formiga at that time. But again, it depends on where the line goes. For, for me, as far as a pick goes, though, I am going to pick Formiga to win. I mean, I think Moreno has to kind of get over that hump. And if he's able to do that, then, of, of course, I mean, it's going to be there's going to be more upside to him for sure. So it's a big fight for both gentlemen. If Formiga wants to stay relevant – He's got to beat a guy like Moreno. If Moreno wants to take his spot and keep on climbing the ladder, he definitely needs to get this win as well. So important fight for both gentlemen, but I still have to side with Formiga here. And uh, I have to agree. I know that Moreno is super talented. Um, he's a decent grappler with some big-time power on the feet that has uh, pulled off some impressive performances inside the octagon. But um, Formiga is the type of fighter that – kind of represents what it takes to beat Moreno. Uh, Moreno struggles against a strong grappler that can take advantage of his weaknesses in grappling defense. Um, Moreno uh, had troubles against Pantoja. He's had trouble against Sergio Pettis taking him down. And I think he's going to have trouble with Formiga shooting for takedowns and putting him on the ground. Um, and I think Formiga is probably the best ground fighter of all three of them. So, uh, and then with Formiga having added some improvements to his stand-up skills, I think that's going to make it even tougher for Moreno because, uh, yeah, he's still going to have an opportunity to get a TKO because Formiga does have uh, a bit of a susceptible chin. He's been knocked out by Joseph Benavides twice. He's been uh, hurting before by against other fighters, but um, unless Marino completely destroys Formiga on the feet and finishes him there, it's only a matter of time before Formiga closes that distance. And as Nick said, he backpacks you. I mean, he's so good at getting fighters to the ground and taking their backs. He's not always going to be able to get the finish, but if he's in an elite dominant position, um, he's going to be riding out rounds and winning decisions as well. So, like I said, Moreno's got a puncher's chance. He's dangerous. He has the power in his hands and feet to finish this fight at any moment's notice while it's standing. But if he's not able to do that, if he misses that shot and Moreno and Formiga ducks it and drags him to the canvas, that round's over. I really think that that's what's going to happen. I just do not see Moreno working his way back to the feet. He's going to be losing rounds uh, due to Formiga's ground game. So uh, I do think Moreno's the more well-rounded fighter of the two, but Formiga's one big strength is enough to overcome that. So Formiga's going to be my pick. Now moving on to the main card and kicking things off in the lightweight division, we have Francisco Trinaldo, who's 24-7, and seven, taking on John McDessie, who is 17-6. Now, Nick. What's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Man, this is really an interesting fight. Trinaldo opened minus 200, the comeback on McDessie at plus 160. And right now, 
what we're seeing over at BetDSI is actually let me see. He got away from me here. Okay, there we go. Sorry. Trinaldo's minus 149 to come back on McDessie plus 120. So line merge have tightened up a little bit more action coming in McDessie's way. Um, across the down best screen here, it looks like it's about, yeah, about 155, 160-ish as well. So market price is about steady right now. And I'll tell you what, it, it's a tough one because – both of these fighters have been underrated throughout their careers, really. I mean, McDessie, we know what you're getting with him. I mean, he's a striking base fighter. That's where it's at with him. I mean, he's got that karate point fighting style that's a sniper type of fighter, though, too. It's not just necessarily a point fighter that has no power. I mean, this guy hits you with his kicks. He could do some damage. He darts in and out. He's got that precision. He's got that power. He's got that accuracy that does do damage and is re- very effective with his striking, for sure. Now, of course, as time goes by... Um, he's a little bit more susceptible to getting hit. I mean, he's got a jaw broken not too long back, you know, a while back against Roney. So he's he's definitely getting clipped in fights as well. And Tornado has that kind of power on the feet to make things interesting for sure with McDessie. I mean, the guy's not a bad striker in any means. I think Tornado's actually the more well-rounded and the better fighter in this spot here for sure. I mean, because he's got the wrestling. He's obviously got, like I said, the striking that can actually do some damage alongside McDessie as well. And then, of course, as far as a pure submission game, Tornado has the edge there as well. So the more complete fighter is the older fighter here in Tornado. Um, but that being said, I still think this is going to be a difficult fight for Tornado because I think McDessie is capable of using that speed and that unorthodox ability to kind of appoint Tornado and land those shots and do some damage along the way. And I think Tornado is going to have kind of a hard time keeping up with McDessie striking. And McDessie really has solid takedown defense overall. So I don't think Tornado is going to be able to just grab a hold of him and take him down and keep him there. Um, if he does, though, Tornado obviously can have a lot of success and definitely make life miserable for McDessie, maybe even submit him. So that's going to be the key here. Can McDessie keep off his back? Can McDessie kind of keep Tornado in his range where he wants to be to land those shots and get in and out and and just fight a very smart fight and win it? I think he probably can. But again, it can't be a real confident pick because you're you're facing or you're going against, you're picking against a more complete fighter in Tornado here. So I can see Tornado has passive victory here in this spot for sure as well, but it's just such a weird spot for me that I'm actually going to pick McDessie to kind of outpoint Tornado on the feed again, kind of bust him up, maybe even get a finish on the way because McDessie does have that sniping style that if Tornado's eating a lot of shots or just a clean shot here, I wouldn't be surprised. Tornado's tough though. He's not a easy guy to finish for sure, but again, styles make fights and this is an interesting stylistic matchup for both guys really. So I think it's probably a dog or pass situation. That's why you're seeing a lot of the action coming in towards um, McDessie here, more so than Tornado. I'm, I wouldn't be surprised if we see some bets coming back in on Tornado as well, but I do think it's a dog or pass situation. My pick will be McDessie, and uh, hopefully he gets it done. And I'm going to come in the other way. Uh, Tornado, I think, just hits a little bit harder. I think that he's a little bit more active, and he mixes things up better. Uh, McDessie, I feel, is the better technical striker. I feel like if this fight is at a s- slightly slower pace and McDessie's able to keep his distance, then he will be able to find his moments because um, he is the slightly more accurate fighter. He does have slightly better uh, striking defense. and uh, But... With the way that Trinaldo fights, if he can kind of force McDessie into a more of a brawl, then I think that that is to his favor because uh, Trinaldo is so tough. I mean, he can take a shot, and even though his age is getting up there, um, he just is not slowing down. 
And the fact that he mixes in uh takedown threat with the striking, because if it's just a pure stand-up fight, unless it's a brawl, I definitely feel like McDessie would win. But with uh, Trinaldo mixing in, uh getting more than one takedown per fight on average, and, I mean, McDessie does not want to go to the ground. He he wants to stand. He's never even attempted a takedown in his entire UFC career. So if this fight goes to the floor, it's going to be Trinaldo initiating that. And I think that he should because on the feet, um, while I do think that Trinaldo is pretty underrated there, um, I think McDessie just is the better stand-up fighter. Uh, McDessie does have a little bit of vulnerability with uh, getting knocked out by Lance Vanetta and... Uh, getting his jaw broken by Don Cerrone. So, Trinaldo, with his power, could definitely land a big shot and hurt McDessie there as well. But, like I said, for the most part, the stand-up exchanges should belong to McDessie because of his technique advantage. But if you factor in uh, Trinaldo's power and Trinaldo's takedowns and a little bit of top control, potentially looking for a submission attempt or just ground and pound from top position, I have to favor Trinaldo. Just he has a few more ways to win. Uh, and I just can't trust that McDessie's going to stay upright at distance and keep this as a technical kickboxing style fight. And because uh, if he does that, he can win. But for I just don't think he's going to be able to do that for a full 15 minutes. So I'm going to side with Trinaldo, especially being in Brazil, even with uh, no crowd there. I think that he'll still be fired up fighting in his home country. So, um, I think, uh, Trinaldo can win a decision here. So he is going to be my pick. Now, moving all the way up to the light heavyweight division, we have Johnny Walker, who is 17 and four, taking on Nikita Krylov, who is 26 and seven. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Here we go. Probably the sleeper fight of the card. I mean, of course, all the diehards and everybody that follows the sport knows this fight's going to be fireworks. I mean, somebody's going to go down here for sure, no doubt about it. I mean, both these guys are dangerous strikers. Obviously, Walker is offensively, man. The guy's a beast. I mean, I know he's coming off of devastating upset loss. I mean, to most people, they they had they were scratching their heads how Corey Anderson was able to knock him out that way. Um, but I mean, Walker is kind of chinny. I mean, that's his flaw. That's his kryptonite for sure is he is a chinny fighter. And I mean, and Anderson, that Anderson knockout wasn't a fluke. And that's what you got to worry about with Johnny Walker and Krylov, man. If you got a suspect chin, I don't know if Krylov's a guy you want to be in there against. I mean, the guy very underrated across the board. I think he's getting better. I mean, I understand he's, he's coming off. Both these guys are coming off losses, of course. Right. But Krylov against Glover. Um, you know, I mean, I mean, obviously Glover's kind of a declining type of fighter. He's not at the top of his game anymore. So you'd expect Tryloff to come in and, and probably do pretty well there. But again, we've seen Glover, I mean, just be one of those gatekeepers and, and just pick off all these guys that are kind of, you know, supposed to surpass him at this point of his career. So that's not necessarily a bad loss is what I'm getting at with Kryloff. I think Kryloff is actually has been improving his overall game. I mean, look, he redeemed that OSP loss, which was huge, I think, for his confidence overall as well. And I think he's one step away from really being thought as a serious potential contender. I mean, the guy has all the skill. Like I said, he's the more skilled fighter overall here in this spot. I mean, the athleticism of Walker is phenomenal. So Krylov definitely has to be careful here. But I think on the ground, Krylov is a little bit better, obviously. Um, Walker's tough to hold down. I mean, tough to take down and hold down at times as well. But 
Um, I think that Krylov can have some success on the ground here in this spot, but I think more than likely we probably see these guys throwing on the feet. And if that's the case, I mean, obviously both of these guys are, like I said, danger strikers capable of doing great things. I mean, Walker, you talk about unorthodox and dangerous. I mean, and it's not flukish. I mean, when this guy lands on you, I mean, he does have that accuracy and he does have that power. I mean, he's going to put you out. So, I mean, again, Krylov is a pretty tough guy overall. He's not an easy guy to finish. But, I mean, he has to be careful here because Walker lands on you. I mean, obviously, you see people crumble under that power. So, offensively, Walker is a beast. He's no joke in this spot. But I just think the better, well, more well-rounded fighter in this spot, again, is Krylov. And I think he's got more pass to victory in this fight. If it hits the scorecards, which it's not going to hit the cards, um, I think Krylov probably edges out a, a decision win here. Um, but, again, it's probably not going to hit the cards. I could see Krylov winning inside. I could see Krylov probably knocking Walker out or stunning him and maybe hopping on a submission as well. So either way, I do think it's a dog or pass situation. I think you can make a case for Krylov being favored in this spot here. But, again, you do have to respect Walker. He's a dangerous fighter. And really, I mean, he's one of the most dangerous light heavyweights in the world for sure offensively. I mean, there's no doubt about that. But can you depend on that chin? And can you risk laying a little bit of chalk over another dangerous fighter like Krylov? I don't think so. Like I said, I think you can make a case for Krylov being favored in this fight. So I'm going to pick him to win, and it is a dog or pass situation. When I initially looked at this fight, I was like, oh, man, you know, Johnny Walker, he's going to win easy. But the more I thought about it and the more I was actually breaking it down, the more I liked Krylov. Um, Walker, I mean, I thought that he was going to be a potential contender at 205 and he still may be someday, but there are some big flaws with his game. Uh, he really doesn't have much of a ground game and he does have a very vulnerable chin. I mean, Corey Anderson doesn't have power on the feet. He's not a great striker, but he was able to hurt Walker on the feet and he followed through and was able to put him away. And uh, and that wasn't the first time Walker's been knocked out. He actually, that was the third time he's been knocked out. He was knocked out by Wagner Prado, of all people, before he made it to the UFC. So uh, Walker does have some issues with chin durability, and that has not really been the case with Krylov. And the only time Krylov's ever been finished from strikes was basically due to exhaustion in his UFC debut. So I'm going to, and that was at heavyweight. So I'm going to put that one aside and, uh, I mean, Krylov can take a shot. And while Walker is still extremely powerful and he can hit you with all different sort, sorts of attacks, whether it's elbows on the inside, uh, big crazy spinning attacks from distance or just pure punching power, uh, in, in the pocket. Um, I think Krylov can take Walker's best shot. And I do not think Walker can take Krylov's best shot. Plus you factor in that Krylov, while he, I mean, his biggest path to getting defeated has been against good grapplers that can submit him. That's not a part of Walker's game pretty much at all. So uh, if and when it goes to the floor, I think Krylov's going to be the favorite there. I think he has the better wrestling and the better ground game. And he's more, and he's, while he gets submitted, he also is pretty good at submitting people. So he'll have the, the ground advantage as well. And on the feet, Krylov mixes things up pretty well. I mean, he's knocked people out with knees. He's knocked people out with head kicks. His hands are pretty heavy. So, yeah, I really do actually think that this favors Krylov. I mean, there's just way more paths to victory here where Walker typically is just trying to knock people out and Krylov is tough to knock out. So I really like Krylov here. The more I think about it, the more that I'm 
big time on Team Krylov. So, um, yeah, I'm going to side with Krylov. I think that he can win on the ground. I think he can win by TKO on the ground. I think he can win by submission. I think he can win by knockout. I think he could win by decision. So, yeah, Krylov's going to be my pick. I just think it's going to be too tough for Walker to to knock him out the way that he wants to uh, because Krylov's so tough. And every other path to victory screams Krylov to me. So Krylov's my pick. Now, dropping down to the lightweight division, we have Hinato Moicano, who is 13-3-1, taking on Demir Hadzovic, who is 13-5. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Moicano opened minus 325, the comeback on Hadzovic, plus 250. And right now what we're seeing is minus 345, the comeback on Hadzovic, plus 271. Tough one, man, because I think Moicano shouldn't be this high of a favorite. Hadzovic is getting a little bit disrespected here in this spot. I mean, Moicano is by far the better fighter. I understand that. I mean, in every area, but really, the last couple fights we've seen from Moicano has been disappointing. I know he's lost an absolute stud, so you can't really blame him there with Aldo and, you know, the Korean zombie or whatnot, but... You know, the way he lost those fights is just, it is disappointing. He's got to tighten up that defense a little bit and he's got to be better. I mean, because offensively, the guy's just a beast. I mean, he's a smart fighter overall. Um, offensively, he can mix things up really well. If he's dangerous on the feet, he's got that knockout power. Again, he's got that accuracy and precision as well. He's got an outstanding ground game. He's got good wrestling. So this guy is a very complete fighter, and he's capable of winning fights in every area of the game for sure. And he is better than Hasbix, right? So, I mean, this guy gets his offense flowing. I understand why he's a solid favorite, but three to one coming off those losses. Hadzvik, he's been up and down, of course, as well, but I think he does have at least enough knockout power in his hands where Mokano is, again, defensively not at his best. I mean, Hadzvik might land. I mean, he could be losing this fight and just blast him. So Hadzvik is a pretty well-rounded fighter in his own right. It's not like he's, you know, out of his realm and any, anywhere the fight takes place. I mean, he has a pretty solid ground game defensively. He's got pretty decent takedown defense overall at times as well. So, I mean, there's a lot to like about him. And again, I think he's probably getting a little bit disrespected at the current price here. Um, but it's hard to pick him here because Mokano is the better fighter and he has to get back on track here. I mean, Mokano, in my opinion, was on his way to a title shot and, and potentially winning that title. I mean, he, that's how good this guy could be. But, I mean, I, now obviously things have changed with the last two losses. Um, I mean, especially, like I said, I don't trust this defensively. I don't trust him that much right now. And, of course, I mean, he's susceptible to the body, of course. But Jose Aldo, those body shots are just vicious, though. And then, of course, he got clipped in the chin the very next fight. So, you know, I, again, Mercado's kind of a head-scratcher to me right now. It's just a little bit disappointing. I wasn't expecting him to have those losses at least that drastic. So. That definitely dropped his stock a little bit in my eyes, and I think Hadzovic, again, with that disrespect here, he could be the sleeper dog of this card. I mean, I'm not going to pick him to win. I think you have to go with Moicano. He is the better fighter, but this is definitely one I'm not willing to lay three and a half to one that's almost market price on right now. I think you guys need to stay away from it, or if you're going to take a fun stab at the dog or you know, possibly Hadzovic inside or something in a prop, maybe that's a way to go for maybe a fun TV bet. But outside of that, stay away from this fight, man. It's, it's just kind of a head-scratcher for me. Yeah, I'm not worried at all about Moicano moving up a weight class. I mean, he was very talented at featherweight, and the only people that beat him were some of the best of the best there. And he was a pretty big, long featherweight, so I think moving up to lightweight is going to be just fine for him. And in fact, it might actually help with his one area that was a concern, which was his chin. Uh, perhaps not having a 
make such a devastating weight cut will strengthen it a little bit. He'll be able to take a bigger shot, even though he's going to be facing guys that maybe hit a little bit harder than, uh, than he faced at featherweight. So I think this is a positive move for him. Um, it clearly was looking like he wasn't going to be a contender at featherweight because of his losses to some of the best guys there. But uh, this is a very winnable fight. I mean, Moicano is way more well-rounded than Hadzovic. I mean, Hadzovic has power on the feet, and he's a decent striker, but Moicano is a, the more well-rounded striker, and I think the more active strike striker. I think uh, his defense is a little bit better, although he does seem to get clipped a little bit in every fight and get bloodied up a little bit. So I'm a little concerned about that, but... For the most part, Moicano should win on the feet, and if it goes to the ground, he should definitely win on the ground. I mean, he's going to have a huge edge there, and he's very dangerous on the canvas, a very strong grappler. So, um, path to victory. For Hadzovic, I really think the only path for him is knockout, which isn't impossible. I mean, we've already seen Moicano get uh, TKO'd or knocked out in back-to-back fights, including a very quick loss to the zombie. So... Um, while Hadzovic definitely does have a path to victory here, I just think Moicano's too talented, and I expect him to bounce back. This definitely feels like a bounce-back fight. Um, he's not facing a, you know, a player at 155 at this point. They're working him in to the lightweight division after he was consistently taking on some of the best in the world at 145. So a uh, very winnable fight for Moicano, and I think he gets the job done. I wouldn't be shocked if he... Uh, get to stoppage, but I think the more likely outcome is he's a little more cautious and is able to walk away with a decision. So Moicano is going to be my pick. Now, moving up to the welterweight division, we have a battle of grapplers as Damian Maya, who is 28 and 9, takes on Gilbert Burns, who is 17 and 3. Now, Nick, where did this fight open and how has the public shifted things so far? Battle of the grapplers here with Burns opening minus 150, Maya plus 110. I mean, obviously both of these fighters have evolved into more just BJJ fighters, but these are two elite, elite grapplers, two of the best the sports ever had. I mean, in the octagon for sure. That's the level of the jujitsu skill you're going to see here. But obviously there's a difference between the two and it's Maya hasn't, I mean, he, even though his striking has gotten better through the years, it's not where you want it to be for sure. And Burns, man, I mean, he does show flashes of really good stuff. Obviously, you know, working with the crew in Florida. I mean, his team, his camp has obviously gotten him a lot better in that regard. And he's his stand-up is nothing to take lightly. I mean, the guy has power on his feet. He's getting more confidence. I mean, defensively, again, there is a little bit of concern with Burns because he's been clipped, you know, and you can get through that defense at times. But he doesn't really have to worry about it too much with Maya here. I mean, Maya has that old man strength that if he lands on your chin and you're not careful, of course, he can hurt you, man. I mean, so don't count him out completely. But as far as a striking matchup goes, Burns is going to torch Maya. Maya does not want to play that game here in this spot. What he wants to do is make this a grappling battle, as crazy as that sounds, because nobody wants to make it usually a grappling battle with Burns. But I think Maya could probably have success here. Again, I mean, taking kind of a page out of Formiga's book, backpack um, a guy like Burns possibly. Not going to be an easy thing to do, but I wouldn't be surprised if Maya does uh, control this fight a little bit more on the ground. I mean, these guys are not going to submit each other. The only way they do, I-, I could see Burns maybe submitting Maya if he almost has him nearly killed on the feet. If he knocks him out and, and Maya's about to just 
you know, go out cold and he hops on a quick sub or something like that. Maybe, but that's the only way these guys are going to submit each other. Um, I mean, they're that good on the ground. So I'd be shocked if either one of them gets a submission here. So it's really going to play out where I think Maya is going to try to get control of this fight. He's going to probably not want to keep space here. He, he's not a dumb fighter, man. He knows what to, what he has to do in this spot. Obviously Burns has a, a blueprint he could follow from some of the guys that have been able to keep this, their distance and, and kind of outpoint Maya and, and be cautious by doing so. I mean, Maya's lost to the stud elite wrestlers in the division, right? Those are really the only guys that have, that have been able to deal with them outside of that. I mean, even Ben Askren for crying out loud, another stud wrestler. I mean, Maya was able to finish him as well. So, uh, I mean, you know, Burns has that path to victory, but he doesn't have that elite level wrestling. So I think he might have some problems here against Maya, even though Burns takedown defense is improving. Uh, he's not an easy guy to take down. I still think the way Maya goes about his takedown sometimes, I mean, he doesn't have the like orthodox, you know, wrestling double leg or anything like that, or the trip takedowns at times. He, he can even get your back as I say it time and time again on this podcast. I mean, you could be kind of pushed up against a cage and he'll find that angle and take your back from the cage or whatever and get you down on the ground. So there's all sorts of ways Maya could close a distance and get this fight to the ground and unorthodox ways as well. So that's where his path to victory is here. Just make this a slow, ugly, boring type of fight is how he wins it. And if it hits the scorecards, I think he probably can get it done. So really, if Burns wins this fight, I think it's probably more likely. I mean, he can win on the cards for sure because he could probably keep his distance and just land the better strikes along the way. But I think realistically, if it does hit the cards, Maya probably wins this fight. And I do think that Maya is kind of a tough guy to finish and he's going to give Burns a lot of fits. So even though the price has been bet up, I mean, from minus 150 right now, we are seeing, like I said, minus 192, the comeback right now on Maya is plus 160. So the betting public overall is seeing the striking differential here. They're seeing that, that these guys are both elite level grapplers and they're favoring Burns to get it done here. But I think they're kind of underestimating Maya in this spot as well. So I will go against the grain and I will pick Maya to pull off this upset win here. And um, it should be an interesting fight to say the least. So if Burns does pull it off though, man, hats off to him. If he could get a win over Gunnar Nelson and Damian Maya, I mean, in this weight class, that says a lot for Burns, and he's well on his way. If he could tighten up defensively a little bit, man, that guy could be wearing UFC gold at some point. That's how talented he could be, but we'll see if he gets there, and it starts by obviously winning this fight against Maya. I'm not sure he could do it. I think Maya might make it his type of fight and get the win here, so my pick is Maya. And I'm actually right with you. Now, in terms of well-roundedness, Gilbert Burns is the more well-rounded fighter. I mean, he's showcased that he has some strength on the feet. He's powerful. Um, he's improved his striking technique. Um, I mean, he has had some issues on the feet in the past with clipped by uh, some good strikers as well, but that's not Damian Maya. I mean, there is no chance that Damian Maya is going to be able to go toe to toe with Burns on the feet and, and live. I mean, he's Burns just has too much power there. Burns has the good technique um, and Maya exhausts himself when he tries to stand and bang too much. So uh, on the feet, this is definitely Burns' fight. So what happens when it goes to the ground? And, and if it, if and when it goes to the ground, I mean, you have to favor Maya. Um, no one has ever been able to hold their own with Maya on the ground. I mean, he has been in there against some great fighters on the canvas and every single time he ends up winning on the ground. Um, I mean, he just has that elite submission ability. He comes at you from, uh, the Southpaw style, which is very unorthodox on the canvas. People aren't typically ready for it. They're, I mean, you can train as hard as you want, but when he's doing everything from the opposite direction, I mean, it, it can really catch you off guard. And, um, I mean, he is just so extremely talented on the canvas. 
Now, Gilbert Burns is a great grappler. Um, I mean, if against, I would say, 98% of the fighters in the UFC at lightweight or welterweight, I would favor him to, to be able to outgrapple them. But Damian Maya is that, you know, one or 2% because, um, I mean, he's just, is makes things effortless on the canvas. Uh, whether he's working for setting you up to roll right into a, a triangle choke or he's setting up a, a rear naked choke, taking your back or you name it. I mean, he gets the job done and he kind of finds that strength and, and he has those unorthodox takedowns. I mean, he's not shooting in for a power double, but if he can close the distance against Gilbert Burns and get a hold of him and drag this to the floor, and using those trips, using uh, a single leg, using whatever again uh, against the in the clinch against the fence, if he can get Burns in that type of bad position, I just even with how good Burns is on the ground, I just think Burns will be put in a bad position. I can see Maya taking his back or even uh, attempting submissions. Possibly, I mean, I think it'll be tough because Burns is so good on the ground, but I just believe in Damian Maya as an elite grappler. And uh, I don't think Burns' takedown defense is good enough here. So, uh, and also we really haven't seen people aggressively look to grapple with Burns. I mean, I think the last person that I remember really doing it was Alex Oliveira of all people. And he had brief success and then ended up getting caught after uh, he was beating Burns. But uh, this time around, I mean, he's, this is somebody that really knows what they're doing. So, um, you know, I really think uh, Burns' takedown defense is going to be, you know, a little bit lackluster here. And I expect that Maya is going to be able to uh, put him on the canvas. So, um, yeah, Maya is going to be my pick. Now, moving on to the main event of the evening in the lightweight division, we have Kevin Lee, who is 18 and 5 taking on Charles Oliveira, who is 28 and 8. Now, Nick, what's the MMA oddsmaker's perspective on this one? Oliveira opened minus 140 to come back on Lee, even money. And right now what we're seeing is Lee minus 140, the comeback on Oliveira plus 121. So the line flipped. A little surprised Oliveira opened the favorite. I mean, I know the guy's been on fire recently. The guy's been amazing. I mean, he's, to me, let me just say this. He's been one of the most frustrating guys as far as the betting widow goes in a while. Because, man, there's been times that this guy, I know what kind of skill he has. He's one of the most dangerous submission fighters in the sports history. I mean, we we're just talking about two elite level grapplers and Burns and Maya. And you know what? I mean, other than, Look, Oliveira, I don't think matches up with those guys, but in in the cage, in the octagon, as far as jiu-jitsu goes, I mean, he's arguably more dangerous, I mean, at, at catching people with subs. I mean, that's how good he is. Again, I'm not comparing him to Burns and Maya overall jiu-jitsu because those guys will school him on the ground. Obviously, they're different, you know, situations, different weight class, whatever. But I'm just saying, in this spot here, Oliveira is definitely one of the all-time greats in, in getting submissions in the UFC. The guy takes your neck, takes your back, you're done, man. I mean, so that's where it's out with Oliveira. He's getting better in his striking, too. We see that. I mean, finally, he's getting some confidence. He's getting some size as he grows into, you know, he grows a little bit. Obviously, as the years go by, he's growing into that physique a little bit more too so he's getting more powerful that's why he's having a little bit more success i think also on the feet so if he clips you man these days i mean he does have some power behind that even though he's got kind of a skinny looking frame right so again Oliver's ground game though is where it's at with him now 
the inconsistencies, though, of his of him, you know, some of the losses that he's faced in his career. Now, I know it's been a while, but he does have that quit in him, and that's what frustrates me with Oliveira. You see all this skill, all this talent, all this potential, and then he goes out there and lays an egg sometimes, and you're scratching your head like, what? How did you lose this fighter? And you can tell at certain spots where he kind of – he knows that going's getting rough, and he just kind of bolted it, and he just kind of gave up and quit. That's what I think. Now, we haven't seen that from him for a while, so maybe he's over that hump a little bit. But I don't know, man. I'm not sold on him quite yet. I mean, to, he's going to have to continue to roll out some of these solid victories. And obviously, Kevin Lee would be one of those uh, for me to be a believer in him again. I, I'm actually going to go pick Lee in this spot because I do think Lee has more upside here in a way. I think Lee's going to present Oliveira a lot of problems if he fights smart. I mean, the problem with Oliveira, for Lee here in this fight is Oliveira, I mean, it only takes a second for him. to Again, you make a mistake, he hops on your back, grabs your neck, and you're done. So and Lee can definitely get submitted here in this spot against Oliveira. But if he fights smart, which I think Kevin Lee knows what to expect here, obviously, in this spot here, he could keep that distance a little bit. I think he's a better striker on the feet. I think Oliveira is a bit chinny himself as well. Kevin Lee has a little bit of confidence, obviously. His striking is getting better. He's got that power to put Oliveira out. He's got that wrestling to keep this fight upright if he's smart and doesn't let Oliveira take his back. So honestly, I mean, the line flipping from Oliveira being favored to Lee being favored, I understand it. I think Kevin Lee should be a slight favorite um, in this spot. So the opening line, I think, was wrong even though Oliveira can win this, and obviously you have to respect him here. If you're going to bet this fight, just I mean, you have to kind of bet Oliveira either obviously by submission or inside the distance because maybe he does you know, land on Lee's chin. He's a little bit of a suspect chin as well. I mean, both these guys tend to slow down a little bit. I mean, I'm worried more about Lee's conditioning actually than Oliveira's in, in most cases. Um, so that said, I mean, that's why if you're going to bet this fight, I think you just have to take Oliveira inside. If you don't have inside offered at your book, then take a small stab at submission if you're going to bet him. But outside of that, I think Lee could probably get this fight done as well. I wouldn't even be surprised if Lee finishes Oliveira by submission, as crazy as that sounds. I know that's probably not going to be a popular opinion, but we've seen Oliveira defensively have struggles. I mean, offensively, it's where it's at with him, but defensively, he can be submitted. Lee does have a great rear naked choke. I mean, he's not fish out of water on the ground by any means. So the guy has skill. I mean, honestly, if anything, Kevin Lee's been disappointing. I think Kevin Lee really at times you expect a lot from him and he lets you down as well. So I, I get it, but I don't think he's got kind of that quit in him like Oliveira has showed in the past. And I think this matchup here for Lee is actually a pretty good one. And he can kind of derail the little hype that Oliveira has or that momentum he has going for him right now as well. But I mean, realistically speaking, these guys can't finish each other. There's a lot to question about each guy as well, but there's also a lot to like, and that's why they're headlining this um, card, obviously, because these guys are ultra popular. They're amazing to watch. I mean, they're fun to watch. If you watch these guys fight, obviously there's not really a dull moment in a lot of fights. So this is going to be an exciting matchup. I'm glad it's a main event. It should be a fun fight, but it is a difficult one again to bet. Uh, because again, if you're laying too much shock against Lee, it could go right out the window with one submission from Oliveira. So the price is where it's at. If you see this price dropping back down towards more of a pick type of price, you got to hop on Lee, I think. Um, but if you see this price obviously continue to escalate a little bit Lee's way, then their value probably opens up on Oliveira a little bit as well. But again, if you're going to bet this fight, if you're betting Oliveira, I would bet the prop more so than the straight bet here. So my pick is actually going to be Lee. I think if he fights smart, He's going to show that he's a better fighter in this spot, and Oliveira's quite not ready. He's not just there yet, but, I mean, obviously Oliveira gets his win. I mean, he a lot of good things ahead for him as well. So my pick is Lee. Hopefully it's an awesome main event. I think it has fireworks written all over it. I don't see it letting down or disappointing, so should be a great one. And I agree that this fight is going to be extremely exciting. I mean, both guys are extremely talented. Both are players at 155. 
Uh, both could be contenders. Um, and we've already seen Lee fight for an interim belt um, and come up short. Um, we have not seen Oliveira quite make it to that level, but I mean, he is riding a huge wave of momentum right now, having won seven in a row. Uh, that being said, of those seven in a row, still really looking for that first big quality uh, win. And granted, six in a row, actually, for, for Oliveira. Um, I mean... He's, I mean, he's beat some decent fighters, Giagos, Clay Guida, Jim Miller, Tamer, Nick Lentz, Jared Gordon, but still no, like, signature wins against, like, a top 15 lightweight currently. So this is a huge opportunity for Lee because, you know, he's come up short, uh, I mean, for, for Oliveira, because he's come up short when he's faced top contenders in the past, uh, whether it was Jim Miller during Miller's prime uh, whether it was Donald Cerrone, whether it was Frankie Edgar or Cub Swanson or Max Holloway or Anthony Pettis or Lamas or Paul Felder. I mean, he just time and time again against the best of the best, he has come up short. Um, but something seems a little bit different. Now, granted, he hasn't been facing the best of the best during this six fight win streak, but he's hasn't just been winning on the ground. Yeah, he does have four of those wins from uh, his submission skills, but his last two, he was able to showcase his stand-up. Um, he's showcased some serious improvements in his power, in his striking technique. I mean, he was, he's been taking dudes out. So I think that that is really important for him because if he isn't able to get this to the ground and take advantage of Kevin Lee's, uh, susceptibility to submissions, then he needs to be able to stand and bang with them. And I think that he'll be able to. Um, neither guy has the greatest chin. I mean, we've seen Lee uh, get blasted by Edson Barboza. We've seen Lee get knocked out by Leonardo Santos. So I know that if the right shot lands from Oliveira, that he can hurt Lee. But we also know with uh, what Lee just did to Gillespie, which was unbelievable. I mean, it wasn't just that it was a good head kick. He set that head kick up perfectly. And I've made fun of Lee striking in the past, saying that he just feels out of the water and there's just nothing there. But he definitely has made some serious improvements in his stand-up. So on the feet, I think this is going to be very competitive where either guy could land a big shot and win. And on the ground... Lee's definitely the better wrestler of the two, and he has the much easier path to taking it to the floor if he wants to. But does he really want to? Because uh, Oliveira has uh, so much of a threat on the canvas. Now, he's not nearly as much of a threat when he is put on his back. He's definitely more of a, a front runner on the canvas, trying to put opponents in a bad spot. But if uh, Lee, I mean, we've seen already Lee get submitted by shooting in for an over-aggressive takedown and then getting like triangle choked by Tony Ferguson. We've also seen Lee get put in a bad spot by uh, Dos Anjos. So uh, it, it's worked both ways with him. But uh, Lee does definitely have the wrestling edge here. He's a little bit physically stronger, I would think, but we've seen uh, Charles Oliveira really pack on some muscle recently. So I think that he'll be a little bit more able to go toe-to-toe -to -toe with Lee on the ground uh, and just in terms of pure physical strength. So I think this fight's going to be super competitive, um, but 
Uh, and then another thing you have to factor in with five rounds, uh, I think Oliveira does slow down a little bit. Like he fights at such a high pace that if he isn't able to get the finish, uh, we've seen him struggle. I mean, that happened against Paul Felder. He was very aggressive early. He was looking good, but Felder was able to fend off those submission attempts. And then by the midpoint of the second round, Oliveira was fading and Felder was able to take him out with the uh, ground and pound. So um, I could totally see Oliveira starting really strong here and then not able to get the finish and then Lee taking over. But I can also see Oliveira just starting strong and overwhelming Lee and taking him out. So uh, I think this is going to be a really fun fight. This is a great main event. It's tough to predict. I'm totally with Nick. I think the line is set pretty well. Um, but I am going to side with uh, Charles Oliveira. I think that at some point he does either win by knockout or submission, whether it's a big right hand or potentially catching Lee with something on the canvas. So Kevin or uh, Charles Oliveira is going to be my pick. So that'll do it for our full event breakdown for UFC on ESPN plus 28. If we have a free play to give out, make sure to follow at MMA OB premium on Twitter, because that's what we'll post them first. We can also notify you of our free bets via email alert. If you prefer that method, just send an email to picks at MMA and we'll add you to our free bet mailing list. Special thanks to bet DSI. Good luck everyone. And hopefully the betting gods are on your side this weekend.